sweet, sweet spirit in the house. Sweet what God is doing in this body. We're in a great, great season. I'm Pastor Michael, and uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles, I'm going to be in 2 Peter chapter 2. We're starting a short series here, uh, next three weeks, uh, from 2 Timothy, basically, and 2 Peter chapter 2, a well-grounded faith. And I'm just going to read some of the text, starting in verse 1, 2 Peter chapter 2. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord and Bottom, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Verse 2, many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. And their group, in their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been seen. A little girl developed a bad habit. It seems that she was continually lying. And once, when she had been given a dog for her birthday, she was caught going to all the neighbors, telling them that she had been given a lion. And her mother, catching wind of this, pulled her aside and said, Darling, I told you not to lie. Now, I need you to go to your room, tell God you're sorry, and promise him you'll never tell a lie again. <laughs> the little girl disappeared for a little while. Then eventually she came meandering back down to her mother. Her mom said, did you tell God how sorry you are? And did you tell him you will never tell a lie again? To which the little girl said, yes, I did, Mom. And God told me that he has trouble every once in a while telling the difference between a dog and a lion, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, trouble with lying, but I want you to notice this isn't funny here. This is false prophets. Not only are they in the streets, but also they are in the church. They are liars and they are deceiver, deceivers. And I need you to notice the ultimate example of their lies that is given here. It says, even denying the sovereignty of the Lord who bought them, the Lord who paid the price for them. So if you were to back up in 2 Peter and go to chapter 1, there Peter talks about the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is sovereign. Jesus Christ is God-made flesh. Jesus Christ is King of kings and he's Lord of lords. He's also Savior. He took our sins upon himself and carried them to the grave taking the penalty of our sin upon himself. He paid the price. So now just imagine leaders in the church who are denying that. And their motivations, self-interest. The Bible says God will call them to give account. We are really fortunate here in the Estes Valley in that we have about eight churches that fellowship together. Uh, collectively, we call ourselves the EMA, the Evangelical Ministerial Alliance. We've adopted a common statement of faith together. We do things together. This is the Church of Estes Park. We are brothers and sisters in the Lord. Yeah, we have a good glory to God. 
So one day I was at a community gathering and a member of another faith group in town that isn't quite so strong uh, just felt the need to confront me. He just lit into me and getting in my face, he wanted me to know. I just wanted you to know that I think it's an atrocity that we have two faith groups in this town. To, to which I said, you know, DMA is unique in that we've adopted together a common faith state statement. Have you read our statement? Do you agree with it? He said, well, uh, yeah, yeah, I've read it. Yeah, I agree with it. Well, 90%. Hmm. And so I just explained to him, you know, well, that's, that's the difference right here, is that all eight of the churches in the EMA agree to 100% of our faith statement, and that, that's what makes us unique. And I tell that story because I want you to hear from me what the 10%, these other faith groups, uh, tend not to agree with, what that's all about. Because it's very important. It largely centers around the authority of God's word, which if you back up to 2 Peter chapter 1, you will find that we have an inspired word, inspired word of God that was given to men of God as God spoke the word to them. So bringing the word of God into question. And the second, it tends to be the supremacy of Jesus Christ, which we've already addressed in chapter 1, the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now I want you to notice in our text how these prophets secretly introduce destructive heresy. It's a word that uh, began meaning, meaning to, to make a choice or to have an option, which is a choice or an option that tends to separate itself from reality, the reality of the kingdom of God. So this word quickly slipped into a maligning of truth, empowering opinion, which resulted in confusions and divisions in the church. Okay, so notice there in verse 2, it literally says, they bring the way of truth into disrepute, into question, actually making truth look like a bad thing. And that's happening right now in our world, and it is happening right now in many, many churches. It's so vital we understand this. So vital we know the truth. Now, I realize that by making statements like this, there may be someone here who's feeling kind of squirmy right now, just a little bit uncomfortable about this, about all this. And you might say, be saying to yourself, hey, Michael, just hold on a minute. Didn't Jesus say that we are to be united? Are we to be one? Isn't that the ultimate proof of our faith? Well, that's a good question to ask, and, and you're right in your concern. We can probably categorize people, churches, and, and movements into two segments, that there tends to be those who love truth, and there are those who love unity. So which is it? Love truth or love people? And, and while you're drawing your conclusions, you may be asking questions like, well, do you really have to make a choice? Can't it be both? In fact, yes, a clear understanding of Scripture is that you can't even begin to love people if you don't know the truth. 
How can you do and be about that which is ultimately good if you have no basis of understanding of what that good looks like? See, the reality is, it is that God is good. And the reality is that God is truth. Love God, love people, love truth, love unity. And yet there's no escaping the reality that people and churches tend to lean one way or the other. Frankly, it's not easy to be a lover of truth today. It isn't politically correct. And if you stand, if you choose to stand with the idea that there is a truth for all people, you will be maligned in this culture as being intolerant, unloving, and unaccepting. Yet, friends, the very definition of absolute truth is that it works for all people in all times and in all situations when it's being properly applied. Hmm. Yet there are very many smart, smart people who say that the way to peace, world peace, whatever peace, the way to unity will only be found in abandoning truth. And when at last we get to the place that no one claims that what he believes will ultimately be embraced by everybody, then we will all get along. Okay, so I have a bit of confession to make here this morning, and I'm going to begin on treading on some uncomfortable territory for some of you, perhaps as if I haven't already done that. I am a longtime Beatles fan. Yeah, that's right. I had just turned five years old when they appeared on the Unselfie show, but I had sisters, one sister, ten years older than me. I witnessed firsthand all the hype, all the screaming, and I, I remember it well. Yeah. I think I have more Beatles songs that I can play on the guitar by heart than any other band or any other singer. But you need to hear this from me. John Lennon was a misguided preacher. Yeah, John Lennon was a misguided preacher. For example, the basis of his legendary song, a song which I really thought was amazing in my youth, it's all washed up. It's, it's a mess because it says if we will just get rid of everything that divides us, including our faith, including our values, including truth, only then can we possibly live as one. But you know what? It doesn't work like this. In fact, the Beatles themselves are a very specific case study of the reality of their message. Because while they're going around, preaching peace and love and not obtain it to everybody else. The truth is they're breaking up with each other at the same time. Yeah. In fact, that generation that screamed peace and love the loudest has experienced a divorce rate at an unprecedented level in all of history and in all of cultures, and that's the reality. 
we think we know what it's going to take to bring peace to the world, but it doesn't even work in our own homes. Fascinating concept. So one of the great Bible scholars of the past, Warren Wiersbe, he said this, truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. Yeah. The song, All You Need Is Love. It's dead wrong. When there's no truth worth standing on, everyone is left to do what is right in his own eyes. And when I want what I want, and you want what you you want, there's going to be conflict. Suddenly, it's the police who become the bad guys and criminals. Well, they're just simply people that need to be understood. Suddenly, there's no respect for human life. Suddenly, hard work gets punished and laziness gets rewarded. Suddenly, there's no difference between what is male and what is female. And suddenly, dictators move into power. Freedom is eliminated. Yeah. The Bible is clear in here. For the sake of unity, we need truth. Okay, now we're going to cross-reference a little bit. I want you to go over to Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. Because here it talks about these same false teachers, and it calls us to watch out for those who cause divisions. It even goes so far as to tell us, avoid them. Avoid them. Clearly, the scripture is calling us to unity here when it says, watch out for those who cause divisions. For the sake of unity, there will be those we must divide from. Is that a contradiction? No. Is unity a good thing? Absolutely, yes. But here's another great truth we need to hear this morning. Truth-based unity may be cause for some truth-based division. In other words, the greatest threat to unity is trying to accommodate everyone, especially trying to accommodate those who are choosing to walk away from truth. How can this be? How can dividing from false teachers promote unity? Well, the answer is the only unity that ultimately counts for eternity and in the kingdom of God, and for that matter, the only unity that counts is unity that is built on God's truth. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, truth, you are my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Not unity for unity's sake, but unity for the glory of God and unity that is founded on truth. Okay, so now we have Jesus Christ. Praise God for Jesus Christ. He came as the ultimate expression of love. Yeah, God's love. No greater love has anyone than this, that he would lay his life down for his friends. This is who Jesus is. But Jesus said he didn't come to bring peace, but he came to bring a sword. 
a dividing line. That's what he's talking about. And in another place, the Bible describes the Word of God as being a two-edged sword. One of those two edges, well, I studied a lot of scripture, and I do seem to be convinced that one edge is love, and the other edge is truth. you got to have them both. In another place, we're told that we're not to give into these false teachings, but instead, this is from Ephesians 4.15, to speak the truth in love in order that we might grow in maturity in him who is the head, and that is Christ. Okay, now, now that I've laid this all on the floor and given you the premise of what we need to hear this morning, because it's very important in this apostate world we're living in, and in this apostate Western culture that we're living in, it's going to get all the more tense as we go forward, so we must decide where we're going to stand, but now I need to give some qualifiers to all of this. The first is, there is a truth that we must hold on to. In a number of places, the Bible calls us not to lose sight of that truth that has come alive in us. Truth and love. These are gifts from God that we must be careful to stand on, to uphold, and to be about proclaiming. How else will the world know? There's a tendency for us to get sidetracked. There's a tendency for us to forget, to not remember what God has done in the past. Am I suggesting in saying that that we need to live in constant fear that somehow we may fall out of our relationship with God? No way. But the scripture does say, hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. What does that mean? It means Jesus is coming again. That means his kingdom will reign. That means things will play out exactly as God promised they would. Not only do we have evidence of this from the past history, we have evidence of it as we walk with God right now, and therefore we can have confidence in the future. Many false teachers in the church either never knew the truth because of false teachers who invested in them, or they've lost sight of truth, or they've gotten angry with God, and therefore they're on a mission of hatred to God himself if we really could see what's going on. And the big argument among these groups, so now <laughs> Tiger in the chain. But I just want to love you. I don't want to be an over-reverend daddy. This is important stuff. But these groups, honestly, want to tell you that 60%, only 60%, if that much, of the Bible can be trusted. Why? Well, come on. There isn't a fish on the planet that's capable of holding within its intestines or stomach a man for an extended period of time. Are you kidding me? Oh, come on. We all know that science, and you watch that word in our political debate, who's worshiping science and who's worshiping God. You just watch for that. You watch. It's, it's out there. We all know that the evolution theories have disproven the creation reality once and for all. To which I say, your God is way too small. 
Because with, with God, nothing is impossible. Why do we keep measuring God by what we see in the mirror? Why do we keep measuring God by what we can see? We need to see God for who he is. And he who spoke creation into being can command whatever he wants and it will be done. That's the God I say. <laughs> Okay, yeah. So we uphold things like the, the supremacy of Jesus Christ. We uphold things like the authority of God's, of God's word. We stand on the fact that while God created all things and called all things good, that man rebelled against God because he saw a choice. And as a result of that, there has been a curse that not only was imposed upon mankind, but imposed upon all of creation. But praise be to God, his love is too great, and so he has made a way for all who will to come back in relationship with him. Do you want peace? Let it begin with making peace with God. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so we say, without apology, believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. Confess him as Lord. Repent of known sin in your life and a sin nature that causes you to do things that you know are contrary to the right thing. And receive him into your life. Then, be baptized in keeping with repentance. Second qualifier here is don't let truth and your pursuit of it steal your joy. Okay, so we saw in Romans 16 how we are to avoid all these false teachers, but sadly there are those who suddenly make it their, their mission to sniff out wherever the, the false teachers are in the body of Christ. They're like those uh, bomb-sniffing dogs at Denver International Airport, just prancing back and forth. Right? One, one assignment, you got to find the problem. That's it. They've lost sight of truth. They've lost sight of joy. They've lost sight of love. And frankly, they could care less about those who are far away from God. They even boast about superior doctrine. They love those phrases about how their doctrine is better than everybody else's. Friends, it's no good. To understand the book of Romans is to understand that it's more about celebrating the good things that God is doing in the body of Christ than to be sniffing out problems in the body of Christ. So please don't let your pursuit of, of truth steal your joy. Third qualifier. Avoiding still means loving. While Romans 16 tells us to avoid false teachers, other places tell us, bless those who curse you, and as far as it depends on you, that you are to live at peace with everyone. So, so avoiding doesn't mean that we stop caring about people. It doesn't mean that we stop praying for people. It doesn't mean that we stop talking to people. Yes, we protect the body of Christ, but it's not about writing anybody off. It's not our assignment to go around separating wheat and tares, because we just might mess up some wheat in the process. We'll let God do that judging, okay? But we're going to be conscientious. We're going to be discerning. We're going to recognize where falsity is uh, being expressed, right? And we're going to let it be known that, hey, we don't fellowship with that. Just like 
me and the guy, you know, the guy and I, uh, who uh, were talking, the guy and me, who were talking at the gathering when he confronted me about the two different faith groups. Now, one more. False teachers can seem really nice. That's right. There are a ton of examples that I wanted to pull out here, but let's just stick with John Lennon, okay? For just a moment. He's a pretty good case study. He'll forever be a hero to many. His words just seem to make sense. Love, love, love. Love is all you need. All we are saying is give peace a chance. Imagine a world where nobody stands for anything except for love. It sounds so right, it sounds so good. But as stated at the beginning of, of this teaching, this has become the philosophy of many churches today. For the sake of love, we must let loose of truth. But the Bible says that it's by their smooth talk and flattery that many will be deceived in the last days. It also says that in the last days, men will be led astray by false teachers who will go around saying, and this is their message, peace, 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 when there is no peace. It's like all those weed eaters, weed, eat, weed uh, hunters in town, you know? Let's get rid of all the noxious weeds, right? And I'm like, good luck with that. <laughs> right? And I even said that to one of them a while back. Just, oh, don't remind me. <laughs> right? Yeah, weeds are a good example of peace, 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 but there is no peace. Now, I might tell you as a pastor not to take care of noxious weeds. You know, your neighbor's probably sitting right here listening and he's saying, don't be telling that guy that. So I, make no mistake about it, friends. There will be peace. And there will be peace on earth. Jesus is the advocate of peace. Jesus will bring peace, but peace will only come when his kingdom reigns forever. Do you want peace? You know where it begins? Make peace with God. Make peace with God, and then after you've made peace with God, begin thinking about broken relationships in your life, and in the power of God, go and make peace there. Jesus Christ, God the Father, exalted him to the highest place, and has given him the highest name, the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those of earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. So, after 9-11, we all remember the events, the World Trade Center collapse and everything that went on there. There was a significant moment in uh, Chicago that happened. The Interfaith Council was called together, but this time there was an unusually large showing. Leaders from a vast number of, of organizations, largely Christian, uh, filled a very large conference room in a very large hotel. It, it became standing room only. And after a number of speakers had shared, something happened that took many by surprise. A Muslim cleric was invited to the pulpit and give an opportunity to speak. And what he shared was absolutely riveting. 
His call was to unconditional unity. And it only required one thing. And so in that, he issued this call. For there to be unity and an end to all the madness in the world, we must be willing to let go of anything that divides us. If you are willing to let go, then my call is for you to stand with me. Oh man, the crowd erupted. It was a grand ovation of suspended cheering and shouting as that crowd was proclaiming, let us let go of everything that divides. But what Martha noticed was a few who had to stay in their seats. They knew that for them to stand was for them to deny their Lord and their Savior, Jesus Christ. They had their heads bowed in their hands and they were weeping as they literally had thoughts of friends who were disgracing the name of Jesus, walking away from Jesus, and the other part of their tears was because for them they knew that they would have to be strengthened in their resolve. Will I stand for Jesus? And in this day of confusion, please answer the question, what's it going to take to cause you to walk away? Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I won't turn back. I won't turn back. Though no one join me, still I will follow. I won't turn back. I won't turn back. Take this whole world but give me Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Would you pray this prayer? Father, what is it that you're wanting me to hear from this teaching? Let us speak to you. And having heard from him, will you say yes to